good evening. It's good to see all of you out this evening. We're glad that you're with us, especially our visitors. We hope you'll come back and be with us anytime you have the opportunity. Tonight's lesson is going to be different, and I've been excited about it because of that. I'm going back to sort of an older preaching style that I've had when I was a little younger. Maybe it won't be as bad <laughs> as it was then. Um, we'll see. Maybe I've gotten better with it. But uh, I don't have my iPad today. I decided to use my Bible. And the reason was because the lesson that we have is a very simple lesson. And when I started putting it together, I realized how simple it is. And I have three very simple points that I want to make in it. And hopefully it, I can make those and, and not have any problems. But um, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we're going to begin our lesson for tonight. The lesson's title actually goes back to uh, a phrase that is very seldom used in any other translation except for the King James Version. And I think maybe the American Standard as well. But the phrase is for a season. I think it's maybe found once in the New King James that I usually use. So I'm going to be using the King James Version tonight to make the points. But when we look at that phrase, for a season, and we look at its meaning, it means for a time, for a brief time, something that will not last. And so that's the title of our lesson for tonight. For a season, things that will not last. And I think it's a very uplifting lesson. I think it's one that is encouraging, which is, is something that, that maybe I haven't done enough of lately. But I hope to leave you with some encouragement tonight that maybe you don't find as often as you should. But Hebrews chapter 11, I want to begin reading with verse 24. And in verse 24, we're looking at a man by the name of Moses. And we know uh, a little bit about Moses. And, uh, of course, if you're following along with the Scripture reading, we're getting into the life of Moses and, and the things that he's dealing with and, and leading God's people. But when we look at Moses, we see that he was a faithful man. And actually, going back up to verse 23, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. Whenever we understand the context of what we're reading, we look back to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus, we see that Moses, uh, he was born in a time period where Pharaoh was very concerned about the people of Israel. He was very concerned with their rapid growth. He was very concerned with what was going on in their lives and how they were developing. And he thought, you know, they could easily outnumber us and overpower us. So he had the male children killed. But Moses' parents did not kill him. They took very good care of him. And so they hid him away because they saw that he was a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's command. So even though the king had commanded this, they, as well as very many others in the people of Israel were not afraid. Why? Because they knew that God would take care of them. That God would protect them. And so we read this in verse 24. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son 
of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Moses made a choice. He made a choice to leave the life that he knew with Pharaoh. The life that he could enjoy. Now I think any one of us, if we had the opportunity to live in a palace under a king or a queen and to be part of that family, I think any of us would, would probably jump at that chance uh, unless we really looked at it closely. But Moses, when he looked at what he had and what he could have, he chose to leave that family. Now we read in Exodus a little bit more about his departure from the palace of Pharaoh. We read about his early life beginning in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 5. It says the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept, and she had compassion on him, and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away, and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter. He became her son, and she called his name Moses. And she said, Because I drew him out of water. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied, uh, spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew, one of the brethren one of his brethren. In verse 12, he looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together, and he said to, them, to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? He said, Who made thee a prince and judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian. And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Verse 15, Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. I'm not sure exactly at what point in Moses' life that he realized that life in Pharaoh's palace would not be all that it could be. But he realized that there was something wrong. And he went out, of course, he saw the Egyptian and he killed him. And of course he shouldn't have done that and he had to flee. But 
whenever we look at Hebrews chapter 11, we realize that this was a choice that Moses made. In verse 25, it says, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He realized that he needed to serve God. He realized that he needed to be with his people. And he realized that even the pleasure that he might have by living in the palace would not last. You see, even if he had enjoyed a sinful lifestyle, the pleasure of that kind of life would not last. And so, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, he left the pound. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. I don't know that he fully understood the reward, but, but certainly he understood that pleasure of sin only lasts for a time. And then, eventually, whenever we've enjoyed the pleasures of sin, we eventually have to face the consequences. That's something we need to realize. That the pleasure of sin will only last for a short while. And eventually, that time of pleasure passes away. And we're left with regret. We're left with consequences to deal with. We're left with a life that we do not want. So, I want us to realize what Moses realized. That pleasure of sin is only for a short while. However, something else that only lasts for a short while is temptation. Turn to Luke chapter 4. I want to read a passage here. When we look at temptation, when temptation leads us to sin. If we stand in temptation long enough, we're liable to fall into it. And because of that, we need to avoid temptation as much as we can. Now there are times when temptation is unavoidable. And we're told in scriptures that God will give us the strength to endure those temptations. But temptation itself is only for a short while. Notice what is said beginning with Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. Here we read of the temptations of Jesus. And Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. 
And the devil, taking him up into a an high mountain, showed him unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee in the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will get I will I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Well, that's very similar to some of the things that Moses could see in the palace. Power, authority. But in verse 8, Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. And said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Temptation is something that we must deal with as Christians. Something difficult. Definitely not easy. But even Christ was tempted. And he showed us that it is possible to overcome the temptations that we face. No matter how strong those temptations may be, we can overcome. And when we look at temptations, I hope we understand that they only last for a time, a short while. Jesus was tempted by Satan, but eventually Satan fled from him. He left. He left for a season. And when we face temptation, we understand that it's very similar because we face the same temptations that Jesus did. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But we know that it'll only be for a while. And yes, those temptations come back. And they go away for a while. Sometimes life seems a little easier and and whenever it does, sometimes it gets a little harder. But we know that those temptations, those moments that we face, are only for a season. The devil only was with Christ for a season before he departed. And so are the temptations that we face. So let's be strong and know that we can't overcome through the power of God. Not trusting in our own might, but in the might of Him who is greater than us. Our final thought comes from 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll notice verses 3 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. And here it speaks of an incorruptible inheritance. 
And this is what we read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively or living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. We have a great inheritance that awaits us if we are to remain in Christ, if we serve Him faithfully. And in verse 5 it says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We talked about the power of God and how it can guide us through temptation. It can help us to overcome. Certainly He can. We are kept in His power through our faith unto salvation. Verse 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, and whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. Wherein ye greatly rejoice. What do we rejoice in? We rejoice in our heavenly inheritance. We rejoice in something greater than anything that we can ever imagine. Something that will never pass away. Something that is undefiled. Something that is reserved for us. And last night we went to dinner and it took us about an hour to get in because we didn't, you know, we didn't make a reservation ahead of time. But how nice is it to walk into a restaurant and know that you've got a reservation, you know? Well, we know that we have a reservation for us. We have a reservation in heaven. Something so great that we can only imagine. And so, wherein ye greatly rejoice. But notice what it says there. Though now for a season. If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. We talked about temptations and the things that we face. But we rejoice for a season. Our lives are but a vapor. Our lives are here and then they're gone. They may seem long at times, but at others, especially as we grow older, they seem shorter. But we rejoice now for a season. And even in the face of temptation, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. 
And you know, our faith is tried by the temptations that we face. And when we overcome, we understand that God gives us that strength to overcome. Well, we rejoice for a season. Partly because temptations do come. And they do discourage us. But also partly because soon our lives will be over. Our rejoicing is for a season, I think at least in part, because one day that hope that we have will no longer be needed because our faith will end in sight. We'll see heaven. We'll see the things that we rejoice in and that hope that we have of those things will no longer be needed because we'll be there. We'll receive that reward but we have to remain faithful. We have to use the temptations and use our trials to build us up, to make us stronger so that we can overcome the next time they come. And know that all the things that we see in this earth, the good and the bad, will all be over. Our life is only for a season. And when this life is over, we have something better that awaits us. The pleasure of sin, yes, it only lasts for a season. But so do the temptations. They only last for a season. And then they're gone. We have reprieve and they'll come back, but they eventually go away. And hope. Hope is only for a season, but only because that hope will not always be necessary. When we see eternity, when we're in the presence of God, we'll be enjoying our reward. But we have to live faithfully as Christians. We have to do our part in this life to live a faithful life for Him. We start by becoming Christians, by obeying the plan of salvation. By faith, being obedient, confessing that faith, repenting of our sins, changing our lives, and being baptized for the remission of those sins. And once we take on Christ, once we put Him on in baptism, we have a hope, a hope of heaven, eternal. But we must live faithfully. And maybe it is that we have those that have not become Christians that would desire to have a right relationship with God. And if that's the case, then we're glad to help you in that area of your life. But maybe it is that you've not lived faithfully. Maybe you need to come back and you need to return. Repent of something that you've done or ask for forgiveness. Maybe you simply need to ask for prayer. But know that this life is only for a season. We do have something better that awaits us. But we must do our part. If you've not done your part, can we give you the opportunity as together we stand and as we sing. Amen.